Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles to John 15. So John 15 verse 1. Let's look at John 15 again in another way. We're starting a series for this month called The Bucket List. The Bucket List. So John 15 verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman or my father is the gardener. Most of us can uh, imagine God in many different ways, but most of us don't imagine God as a gardener. We spent time in May talking about what he does in his gardening efforts in our lives. But it says in verse 2, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges or he prunes it or he cleanses it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. In the month of May, we spent a lot of time on latter half of verse 2 and verse 3 talking about how God cleans us or purges us or prunes us with his word. God does not use natural disasters. He does not use the curse. He does not use death. He does not use sickness to teach you something. Why would God have to go into the warehouse of his enemy to teach you something? He teaches his children with the word of God. One of the worst things you can tell someone who just lost someone is like, well, God needed another flower. No, God is not sadistic. He didn't take them from the earth just so he had something pretty to look at. We need to stop letting religion define our lives and let our lives be defined by the book. So if your religious belief doesn't line up with the word of God, check it out. Follow the book. But today I want you to notice that first part of verse 2. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Most people think, oh no, if I don't bear fruit, God's out to get me. But that phrase, taketh away, in the Greek is not what you think it means. That word, takes away, in the Greek means to lift up. It means to lift up from the dirt. So there's so many Christians, and their everyday life, they're concerned because they're not producing according to the word of God, and their face is down in the dirt. So in this parable, and in gardening back then, The gardener will lift up vine branches from the ground so that it could better receive the flow of nutrients from the vine. So I'm going to give you three truths this morning about God, your gardener. Truth number one, God doesn't cut off those who don't bear fruit. He lifts them out of the dirt and places them in a position to receive from him. Because the thing is, when you're first born again, you're not producing much. You can run through a situation in your life and your production value is lowered. But God doesn't quit on you just because you don't have a fruit-bearing season. What he does is he lifts you up from the dirt so you can be closer to the sun. What is he doing? He's adjusting your perspective. So if you're in a season and you feel defeated today, you feel like you can't make it today, you feel that God's ashamed of you today, no, he brought you in this place and to listen on this Facebook Live or listen on this podcast because he's lifting you up from the dirt. So if God is not looking down on you in shame, don't look down on yourself in shame. Lift up your head high. Your help comes from above. Next truth. The gardener would place non-producing vine branches on the trellis with fruit-producing vines. So the one that wasn't producing, after he lifted it from the dirt, he would place it on the trellis with other vines that were producing. So the next truth is, God will place non-producing believers in the life of believers who bear fruit. So God will put, if you're a believer in here and you're bearing fruit, God will put people in your life that don't bear fruit for a reason. You would go, why are they in my life? They get on my nerves. Well, at one point, and you still do get on somebody's nerves. So what does God expect? He expects the fruit-producing believers to be patient with those who don't bear fruit. He expects them to set the example so that they can learn to bear fruit as well. He expects you to do this through the one another principle. And what is that? It means provoke one another to good works. It means to encourage one another. It means to bear with one another or put up with one another. Somebody had to put up with you. 
You ain't Jesus. There's only one. We're all striving to be mature and perfect like him. But somebody has to put up with you. So why don't, think you, why don't you think you need to put up with somebody else? You love one another. You pray for one another. The next truth. The gardener will lift it up there so that in the future it could bear fruit. So the truth is God is always endeavoring to get you to a point where you can produce more fruit for the kingdom. So just because you're not bearing fruit today, God has not given up on you. He's lifted you up, put you in the lives of other believers so that one day you too can bear fruit in the same way. Verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. Remain in me, continue, make your home in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide, continues, remain in the vine. No more can you except you abide, remain, continue in me. We looked at that in the month of May. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Whatever you try to do without God will eventually become nothing. It may seem to start off at something. People may pat you on the back. They may celebrate you. But if you're doing it without God, you're not doing it by God's plan, eventually that will come to be nothing. Even if you don't see it in your life on the earth. Because you will one day stand before Jesus. You will have your job performance review. And the thing is, you may have done all these great things, but if you didn't do what he called you to do, you don't get any credit. We may look at this later on this month, but everything that you did burns up before his throne. And it says Paul uses the words that you escaped as of though by fire. That means you're saved. That means you're going to heaven. But you have nothing to show for your life on earth. So if whatever you try to do without Jesus will become nothing in one way or the other. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Notice it'll say God cuts them off. People cut themselves off from God. God doesn't cut himself off from people. We looked at that when we did the series called The Source last month. And so what happens People who stop abiding, stop remaining, stop continuing, cut themselves off from their source, and they begin to wither. If you've seen plants and you water them for a while, they're good. But after a while, when the source is not supplying what they need, they begin to wither and die. The withered look like the world. So if there are areas of your life that look like the rest of the world, you are withering. Get back to abiding. Get back to remaining. Get back to continuing. John 15, verse 5 in the Amplified Classic Edition says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. There is a flow into your life if you walk in vital union with Christ. There is a flow into your life if you walk in vital union with Christ. What does it mean to be in union? It means to be one. So if you walk as one with Jesus, there is a consistent flow into your life. Daniel 7.10 describes a river of fire of the glory of God flowing from the throne of God. Revelation 22 verse 1 describes a river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God. There is a flow that comes from God. Say, there is a flow. So go to John 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 3. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. There are different ways to get to where he was going, but he says he must go through Samaria. He's on a mission. He's going with a purpose. Then he comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. Why? They've been walking a long time. It's hot. He's tired. He wants to sit down. Sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which means it's noontime. So it's the hottest time of the day. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus says unto her, give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away in the city to buy some Chick-fil-A for Jesus. So the disciples went to buy lunch, to pick up the lunch. Jesus is sitting on the well. And notice there's no one else there. Why? If it's the hottest time of the day in the Middle East, where are you going to be? Inside. It's not like you're a visitor. It's not like you're a guest. You know that if you don't want to be in the noonday sun in the Middle East, you get your water beforehand in the times when it's cooler, right? So this woman who's from this town knew that nobody was supposed to be at the well when she got there. She's trying to avoid people. She's trying to avoid the eyes and the looks and the condemnation of people. So she slips out at noon, sees this Jewish guy sitting on the well. So she ignores him and goes to get water from the well. And Jesus looks to her and says, give me a drink. Notice how she responds. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews did not like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. The Jews called Samaritans half-breeds. There was racial tension for hundreds of years between these two groups of people. And so she's saying, how are you going to ask me for water when your people don't even talk to my people? And Jesus answered and said unto her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. So let's break this verse down. Jesus, if you were to know two things, the gift and the who. Because if you knew two things, you would have asked and you would have received. So for the purpose of this message, let's break it down even further. What is the who? Jesus is the source. We talked about last month about God being your source and how to tap into the source. So we're building on things we've covered over the last eight and nine weeks. But the gift and this passage is living water. But notice what she responds, sir, you have nothing to draw with. Another translation says, you don't have a bucket. And the well is deep. From whence do you have this living water? Where does your living water come from? You don't have a bucket, sir. How are you going to give me water? I have a bucket. I'm not giving you my bucket. So how are you going to give me water? But the thing is, Jesus saw something the woman didn't see. He goes on and says, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. That word thirst means to suffer from thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Here's the main point. Neither come here to draw. She doesn't want to have to come to the well anymore. Not because she's tired of drawing. She's tired of the condemnation of people. So, Give me this water so I'm set for the rest of my day so I can avoid the people who are talking about me. Now, why are they talking about her? Jesus said unto her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And he whom you now have is not your husband. Could be someone else's, it doesn't say. And that said you truly. The woman said unto him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I guess so. 
So the whole town knew who she was. Because later on, he said she went to go talk to all the men. Why? They knew her. So this lady is thirsty in multiple definitions of the word. And so the thing is, she wants to avoid the judgment of people because they all know she's been divorced five times and she's living with somebody she's not married to. She knows that if she goes to the well, all the women are going to have something to say to her or about her or give her some stank look. So she goes at noon when she can avoid the judgment of people. See, it's not wrong to be thirsty. What's wrong is where you go to quench your thirst. Everybody in this world has a thirst, but most people in the world go to something else to quench their thirst. You're having a bad day, so you turn and drink something. So what's something that people like to drink in here? Good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm setting you up for that. So instead of turning to the Holy Spirit, you turn to the alcohol just to ease off the pressure of the day, to de-stress a little bit. So you've picked alcohol to be a cheap substitute for who the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in your life. Everybody has a thirst. How do you quench the thirst in your life? So Jesus says to her, because he has a mindset that she says you don't have a bucket. But Jesus is looking at her, and she doesn't realize yet, but she's a potential bucket to take this living water to those she encounters. So if you go back and look, Jesus, whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be or shall become in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So he said, know two things. Know who the source is. Know what the gift is. The gift is the living, flowing, rushing water given by Jesus. The who is Jesus, the source of the living water. So we see it begins that Jesus gives water. But drinking of the water ends the thirst. So you can have the water and still be thirsty. I can have this water in my hand for the rest of my days and die of thirst. Why? Because I never drank it. If you are a believer, you have water from Jesus on the inside of you. But why are you withering and dying of thirst? Because Jesus says, whosoever drinks. So if you don't drink, you will wither and die like the world, even though you have the answer on the inside of you. You can have a well but never drink. And notice the water he gives in you shall become. That indicates a process. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. So as opposed to progress from the water that Jesus gives you when you're saved to a well or to a spring. This word springing up means gushing out. So how does what Jesus gives you progress to become a spring of living water? Because from this spring, you're supposed to be able to take the bucket, get the water, and drink what you need. Go to John chapter 7. We'll come back to John 4 in a little while. John 7. Everything God puts on the inside of you is supposed to increase. God is ever on the move. Everything on the inside of you is supposed to grow. It's supposed to increase. Nothing in you is supposed to stay stagnant. Worst of all, nothing in you is supposed to decrease. Everything God puts on the inside of you should increase. So John chapter 7, starting at verse 37, is the last great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they're doing this ceremony that the sages describe it, says you've never seen rejoicing. You've never seen a party if you've never witnessed the ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. Because what they would do, fulfilling Isaiah 12, 3, which we'll get to in a little while, they would go down to the well, and they would pick up water from the well, 
And as they picked it up, the whole crowd would begin to celebrate. They would begin to sing the psalms. They would begin to dance. They would begin to party. They walked all the way back to the temple. The celebration is still going on. People are shouting and singing and dancing and celebrating. And then they get to the point at the altar and they pour it down. It's a prayer representing God who is our source. Send us rain for what we need for the upcoming year. So while this is all going down, everybody's watching the water come from the pitcher. Jesus stands up and says, if any man's thirsty, anybody want what that ceremony represents, come talk to me in the parking lot. Let them come unto me and drink. Notice, in order to receive, you got to drink. You can't drink with your mouth closed. He that believes on me, or he that believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Wait a minute. I thought we said a spring. Here's another progression. It goes from the water Jesus gives into a spring into rivers of living water. You're never supposed to just stop with what you get at salvation. You're not supposed to stop with just a spring. It's supposed to come rivers. And this Jesus spake of the Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the Scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. Remember, we said earlier, there's a flow that comes from the throne of God. There's that river of glory you see in Daniel 7. There's a river of the water of life in Revelation 22. It comes from Jesus, and he gives you that river when you're born again. But what happens if I just take a bucket, I fill it up, and I give it to you, it's not producing. It's supposed to progress to it keeps producing everything you would ever need. So that if you're thirsty and some super spiritual person is not around you to pray for you, you say, well, I have to wait till Sunday to get filled back up. I have to wait till so-and-so comes to town. No. Take your bucket, fill it up, and drink. But if it becomes rivers of living water, that means other people's lives will be affected. That means it's not just about you. Because once you become born again, it has to stop being just about you. It is about you, but it also becomes about somebody else. It's okay to start in your life, what can God do for me? But you have to grow to see what can God do through me. That's why we said our mission statement is to make Jesus famous in Atlanta beyond by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations, meaning everything we do does not end in these four walls. That's why we call this an experience. We want people to encounter God, encounter his word, encounter his presence, encounter his love, and then when they leave this building, the service begins. This is not a service. This is an experience. This is a teaching. This is the word. This is the move of the Holy Ghost. But how you serve God, unless you are serving as a part of our amazing team, Faith Today, the service begins when you hit South Cobb Drive, when you hit Church Street, when you leave this building to take what God has given you to give to a thirsty world. So he who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. So if you believe, what you have will increase. If you believe, what you have will increase. It will increase from the water Jesus gives. It will grow to a spring, and then it shall increase until there are rivers of living water. So when this word says cleaves, it speaks to relationship and union. Trust speaks to faith. Rely means to depend. So three points from the scripture alone. If you want what you have to increase and grow. Number one, believe in your source. Number one, believe in your source. 
Make sure for whatever you need, God is your source. If you want to know about that, listen to last week's message on the podcast or download it from the website. So number one, believe in your source. Number two, walk in union with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. If you could peel back your flesh and look at your spiritual condition, there's not Jesus on the inside of you and you. There's not two spirits on the inside playing cards. There is one glorified being. When you became born again, you were joined to Jesus. It would be wonderful if the truth was you were joined to Jesus of Nazareth. That would be amazing. But you were joined to the resurrected, glorified Christ who was glorified with all glory that there is. You are more glorious right now than you ever realized. Right now. On the inside. But the key is getting what's in there out. So number one, believe in your source. Number two, walk in union with him. Number three, depend on him. Number three, depend on him. How do you do that? Constantly check in him, check with him. Check with him whatever he's wanting to do before you just make a decision about the situation because you think you know everything. Spiritual maturity is marked by dependence. Spiritual immaturity is marked by independence. And the natural, it's a great thing when your child can make their own breakfast. My daughter's not even two yet. We're nowhere close to that. And so until she's mature enough to do that, we make it for her, right? Because we're training her to be self-sufficient and independent in natural things. But where spiritual things are concerned, you start as an independent. And you have to grow till you're dependent on Jesus. Do you know why some people see miracles when they have nowhere else to turn? Because they finally depended on Jesus. It's not like God wanted to wait till that time. They just never believed. So they finally turned to God. God, maybe you can do something. If they turned to him first, it would have been handled a long time ago. How many miracles and blessings and manifestations of glory and grace have you delayed because Jesus was your last resort? So depend on him. Constantly check in with him. How should I handle this situation? What should I do with this? How should I direct my finances? How should I raise my kids? How should I handle this at work? What should I do about this, sir? Because if you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. But that means you have to acknowledge. Don't expect the Holy Ghost to come in and grab you and say, son, daughter, do this, do that. He's a gentleman. This is not Islam. Gabriel coming in, grabbing you, saying, recite, recite, recite. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. If you don't ask, you won't know. So, well, when I spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, I seem to know more. Oh, yeah, because you're praying in the Holy Ghost, you're asking for things. And then he's telling you, because you already prayed in faith. You didn't know what you prayed. You don't have to know what you prayed to pray in faith. So spend more time praying the Holy Ghost because you'll ask for things you don't know you need to ask for. And it will set up a future for you. It will clear things out in the future that you didn't even know you would run into. But the Holy Ghost knew. And so you yielded and let him pray through you, and he set things up in your future for you. And you walk into things like, man, where did that come from? God said, you remember a couple years ago when he took an extra hour to pray in the Holy Ghost? That's where it came from. So depend on him. Check in with him. Go to Proverbs 11.25. Proverbs 11.25. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Let's look at a fourth key. We're talking about how to progress from the water that Jesus gives you to becoming a spring, to becoming rivers of living water. It says, the liberal soul or the soul of blessing shall be made fat, and he that waters 
shall be watered also himself. Or he who gives a cup of water shall receive a cup of water himself. So number four, give what you have and it will grow. Give what you have and it will grow. Give what you have and it will grow. Don't say, I don't know enough. Start with what you know. As Pastor Kate Strammel said, go with what you know. So all I know that Jesus says, that is a great starting point. You say, well, Jesus saved me, he can save you. You get them saved, they're like, well, where do we go from here? Come to church with me, I'm going to learn with you. Give what you have and it will grow. Because if you just sit on what you have, it will never grow. Anytime I teach on a subject, by the time I'm done, I have more revelation on the subject. Why? I'm given. So it's going to come back to me. So it's not just for preachers to increase in revelation. It's for you too. So I don't know what to say. Go over the message that you get on Sunday. Tell someone else about it on Monday. And then you will grow in revelation too. Go to Isaiah 12, 3. So number one, believe in your source. Number two, walk in union with him. Number three, depend on him. Constantly check in with him. Number four, give what you have and it will grow. Isaiah 12, we can back up to verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Number five, draw it out with joy and rejoicing before God. Draw it out with joy and rejoicing before God. Remember, Philippians says, rejoice in the Lord, and again, I say, rejoice. Remember, Isaiah 12, 3 is what they were doing at the ceremony of Jesus at in John 7. They were rejoicing. That if you want to receive, you have to rejoice. Joy is an expression of your faith. If you're never praising God, Satan will think he's winning. You must rejoice. You must celebrate. We talked about a few weeks ago, you must dance before the Lord. He's like, well, I'm not that coordinated. I don't think it takes all that. Well, I started through the word of God, and everybody that I saw dance before the Lord, dance in the spirit, none of them were broke. So you broke, you need to start dancing. You need to start rejoicing. You need to start celebrating and praising. I'll study more about the ceremony of the Feast of Tabernacles, that when they're pouring out the water, all the well-respected members of society were at the altar dancing. So the richest members of Jewish society weren't in the back going, well, that's a good preacher, pour out that water. They were at the altar dancing and singing. And the rabbis took it to a whole new level. Some ceremonies said that throughout Jewish history, the rabbis got so excited, they started doing acrobatics. You think Minister David can jump? They were acrobats. Why? Celebrating. Rejoicing in God. Remember, 1 Peter says that it's joy unspeakable, full of glory. You tap into the glory when you rejoice. We praise until the spirit of worship comes. We worship until the glory comes. Rejoicing has to be part of your life, not just on Sunday morning if you show up in time for praise and worship. Another message. <laughs> Go back to John 4. See why I'm calling it the bucket list. So rejoice for the joy is full of glory. So, so far we said, draw it out with joy and rejoicing before God. Give what you have and it will grow. Depend on him. Constantly check in with him. Walk in union with him. Believe in your source. So, back to John 4. Go to verse 25 and verse 19. We see the woman believes that Jesus is a prophet, and he was and he is. 
stood in all five-fold ministry gift offices. Verse 25, the woman says unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Remember, they didn't like Samaritans either. Yet no man said, what seeks thou or why are you talking with her? At least they knew enough to be quiet. Some of us should learn when to shut up. How many messes would you have never gone through if you just went? So, well, people think I'm stupid. At least you didn't blow it up with saying what you wanted to say. The woman then left her water park and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Think about this. Jesus said, I am the Christ. She believed it. How do we know that? She left and told other people. So what happens in New Testament, after Jesus died raised again, if someone believes and confesses they are saved, Right? And under our covenant, the water from Jesus put on the inside of her. She believes, and she leaves her water pot. She leaves her bucket. Why? She became one. And what was inside her bucket? Living water. So what did she go do with the living water? Hey, everybody! Let me tell you about what I found. Let me tell you about who I know. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. What is she doing? Receive, receive, receive. She is giving what she got. So what happened? It's growing. And then what happened? The entire city came to Jesus. Because of the testimony of one woman who received a bucket of living water. And they stayed with Jesus for two days. And then they said, now we believe because we heard the word for ourselves and not just your testimony. Now they're all buckets of living water. So my question to you today, are you on God's bucket list? Can he trust you with drawing water from your spirit and taking it to a dying and thirsty world? Can he trust you to carry living water? Can he trust you to refresh the world? Or will you just drink what you got and never share? Or worse yet, die of thirst yourself? Are you on the list that God can turn to? I need to pour into you so you can go pour into your world. Because what happens is we'll become rivers coming together to become a flood. Go to Isaiah 43. We're going to wrap this up. Isaiah 43. Look at verse 18. So can God trust you with drawing water from your spirit to share with others? He needs you to be a river. Someone who takes their bucket to their spring and river and shares it with others. Verse 18, the prophet says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Rivers don't normally flow through a desert because it's a desert. But God said, I am going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a way in the wilderness and a river in the desert. Isaiah 43, 4 prophesies how God would use John the Baptist and others like him to prepare the way of the Lord. So if God used men to become a way in the wilderness, God wants to use men and women to become rivers in the desert. 
rivers in dry places. Rivers in places there are drought, where people are dying of thirst. God wants you to become rivers. What does this river do? Go to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. He needs you to become a river. He needs you to use your bucket. That speaks to your spiritual capacity to fill up and pour out. My spiritual capacity is always increasing because I'm always pouring out. But I have to take time to fill back in. Just like you have to keep pouring out and take time fill back up. Ezekiel 47, verse 1, after he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, from the forefront of the house to toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate of the northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate, by the way that he looked eastward, and behold, there ran out waters. There's a river running on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hands went forth, he begins to measure it. And you see, the water was up to his ankles. Then he went farther and measured again. The water is up to the knees. Then he went up farther, and the water was up to the waist. Then he went farther, and it was a river you couldn't pass over. There were rivers to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. But notice what it says in verse 8. Well, no, verse 7. Now when I return, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives, which moves, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a great multitude of fish because these waters shall come there and they shall be healed, and everything shall live where the river cometh. Another translation says, where the river flows, life abounds. Where the river flows, life abounds. So God will send you to desert places, dark places, places infested and ran by demons, places filled with thirsty, hurting, dying, withering, people. So stop praying for God to get you out of that place. Start praying for God to use you to change that place. Because you've been asking God, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here, maybe he wants you there for a reason. And then you get upset, well, my season's changed, I like being here. Maybe God needs you somewhere else. Maybe he needs that river to flow somewhere else. Go to Mark 4. You have something to offer. Wherever the river goes, there's life. Wherever the river goes, life abounds. So look at a case study before we close. Mark 4, verse 35. We've taught in Mark chapter 4 a number of times. And it is the most important parable of the Bible that's the key to all the other parables. So Jesus teaches that Satan only has five strategies. Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. And so those things come to steal for the, the word. They come for the sake of the word. Satan sends affliction and persecution, which is pressure brought by circumstance and pressure brought by people to steal the word or to keep the word from producing or the other things to crowd out or to bump out or to choke the word. So Jesus has taught this message. And then in verse 35, he gives his disciples another word. Let us pass over unto the other side. What is the word from Jesus? Let us pass over to the other side. So if Jesus said it, guess where they're going? Nothing can stop them because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So the word was spoken and Jesus went to sleep. Wow, he's tired. He preached all day. Then he explained what he preached all day. Then he says, I'm done, y'all take the ship to the other side, I'm going to sleep. And what happens? A storm arises. There rose a great storm of wind, 
and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Notice it never says that it rained. This is a great storm of wind. And it hits the boat again and again and again. The only other time you see those Greek words talks about a person or a physical entity. So this gives you hints there is a spirit behind the storm. What is its purpose? To sink the ship. The boat is now full of water, right? If a boat is full of water, what happens? It sinks. But it's still up. Go back and look at it. So that it was now full. And he, was, he Jesus, was in the hinder part of the, sleep, of the ship's sleep on the pillow. Jesus might have been floating in that water, on the pillow, knocked out. Why? He already said, we are going to the other side. So it doesn't matter what Satan tried, he was going to the other side. So the boat was full of water, physics is now defied, but it's still going to the other side. His disciples are freaking out. They wake him up. Don't you care about us, Jesus? They question the love of God. So Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, calm down. That's what peace be still means. Another translation says, went, shh, quiet down. Why? The wind and the waves were not made to destroy. So he uses authority to send it back to its original state. It didn't say all the water left the boat. It's still standing in the water. And Jesus looked into them and said, why are you so full of fear? How is it that you have no faith? Wait a minute, faith comes by hearing, hearing about the word of God. Jesus expected them to use their faith and deal with it. Saying, why did you wake me up? I was sleeping. I was good. Why didn't you handle it? They said, what manner of man is this that even the wind of the sea obey him? It's coming a time when people will look at you and say the same question. Because you're becoming rivers of water. Mark 5 verse 1. And they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. This unclean spirit is the master spirit of all the other devils inside the man, and it is the spirit that stirred up the storm. Jesus was coming there on a mission. The spirit did not want Jesus there. So he tried to kill him. Didn't work. So now the man is running at Jesus. Now it talks about how they tried to chain that man. But the demon gave him supernatural strength so he would break out of his chains. Society tried to contain him, but they couldn't handle it. They couldn't medicate him enough. They couldn't restrain him enough. You can't medicate a devil, by the way. So they tried to medicate. They tried to sustain him. They tried to keep him away, out of sight, out of mind. He would always break free. He would begin to cut himself with stones. And he lived among the graveyards. So this is a real haunted house. And he would cry night and day, him and the demons on the inside of him, yelling, screaming, tormenting him. The whole countryside is held in the grip of fear by that spirit. That spirit has the whole countryside. It's ruling, the ruling principality over the area. Jesus shows up on the beach. And so here comes this man, bleeding, naked. Chains swinging, running at Jesus. Jesus standing there. Hear the disciples. Well, time to get back on the boat. Come on, Jesus. Let's go. We got to the other side. Time to go backwards. What would you do? Someone running at you, chain swinging. And naked. <laughs> and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, you son of the most high God? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. He didn't think Jesus had authority because he was the son of God, but Jesus had authority because he was the son of man. 
For he said unto him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So the man starts running at Jesus, and Jesus said, come out of him, you unclean spirit. We don't have time to get into it today, but that unclean spirit is a spirit of sexual perversion. It's a spirit of sexual immorality. And that goes back, if you take it back to the Greek, that every time that word pornea and unclean is mentioned, they're associated together. So it starts with an unclean thought that becomes an unclean strong in a person's mind. They begin to think those thoughts, they begin to act that way. Then they become an unclean person, they open themselves up to unclean spirits. And he asked him, what is thy name? That does not mean you need to go around asking possessed people, what's your name? Jesus only did it because the Bible says he only, did what he, heard his, he only did what he saw his father do. He only said what his father said. So the father said, ask him its name. And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. A legion means two to six thousand. This man has two to six thousand demons in him and on him. Because it started with an unclean thought. Now, pause there, that speaks to the spiritual capacity of a man. One man had thousands of demons in him. What can one born-again person do? But now these spirits try to punk Jesus. There's too many of us for you to handle, son of God. The man falls at his feet worshiping Jesus because he wants deliverance. But the spirits are trying to punk Jesus at the same time. And then they begin to beg, send us into the pigs that we may enter into them. I know you like your bacon, but I guess demons do too. <laughs> and just background, this is not a Jewish area if there's thousands of pigs on the countryside. Jesus left the Jewish area. There were Jews in this area, but it was a Gentile area. These were people that didn't worship God. They followed Zeus and other gods. Sometimes a river will take you out of your comfortable place and take you to places and people who don't look like you, talk like you, smell like you, think like you, or believe like you. So Jesus there, he gives the demons permission. They leave the man. The pigs got enough sense. We don't want the demons either, and they run off. And the herdsmen watching the pigs see everything that happened, and they run in terror. Why? They're used to living in fear. So their first response is fear. And they run and tell the city what just happened. And they come back, they see that man clothed and in his right mind. And they are afraid some more. Why? All they know is fear. And so what do they do? They beg Jesus to leave. And because Jesus is a gentleman, it's fine. I'll go. Now the man who was delivered who had the legion, begged Jesus, let me come with you. So many times Jesus told people, come and follow me. Come with me. Join my team. I got you. But he says, no. Go back. Tell your friends and your family how the Lord has had compassion on you. He told them where to go, and he gave them a message to preach. What is compassion? Is love in action. So he sends them to preach love. Why is that so important? Perfected love cast out, evicts fear. Although that principality has fallen, people are still under the grip of fear. So Jesus wants to capitalize, is where he is, is a region of ten cities, to be free of fear. So he sends one delivered man to preach love. So he goes and does that. Go to chapter 7. Let's see if his ministry was effective. See, you too have a well, a spring, and a river of compassion on the inside of you. Galatians 5, 6 tells us the faith works by love, but the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit who is given unto us. God is love. Jesus, the Son of love. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of love. And the Holy Spirit of love pours love into your heart. And if you work these same principles by giving what you have, by believing in your source, by walking in union with him, by checking in with him, by giving what you got, by bringing out with joy, that love will become a river. That love will be more than a springing well. So this man believes he's become a bucket of living water, of living love. So he takes what he has 
and he begins to tell people. They recognize him. You know, he's the subject of the city. But he's walking, not screaming, not tormenting, not cutting himself, clothed. He's in his right mind, and he's telling them about a man named Jesus who loved him, who freed him, and he can do the same for you. So you get to Mark 7, verse 31. And again departed from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. He came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. He comes back. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Wait a minute. Last we heard from these people, Jesus, get out. Now they are bringing someone to Jesus. And they said, just put your hand on him. Faith came. Why? They preached the word of love. They believed it. Faith came in their heart. So they, as an act of their faith, bring somebody who couldn't hear and couldn't talk. Jesus prays for him. His ears are open. He begins to talk and speaks, speaks plainly. And notice something supernatural happened. No one had to teach him a language. He knew how to talk fluently. And notice what they said. Verse 37, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. They move from telling Jesus to leave to saying he does everything well. He does everything amazing. This is the work of the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Why? One person took their bucket and began to give. And to give, and to give, and to give. Just like the woman at the well, giving, 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 and it changed everything. We talk about the outpouring of the Spirit and fabulous outpourings from heaven, and it's true. But the outpouring is not just what comes down from above. It comes from what's on the inside. When you look in Genesis and talk about the flood of Noah's day, Water came from above, but it says springs of water came from the earth beneath. And in the last days, how God wants to move is not just what he pours out from heaven, but he wants it to come from you. You have to be a river of love. You have to be a river of life that wherever you go, people live. People flourish because you are fair. So don't be mad at the desert. Change it. Stop being mad at the sinners because they sin. That's what they do. Sinners sin. Love them. Forgive them. Stop judging them. Just because they sin differently than you did doesn't mean you get to judge them. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. He said, at the last day, the word will judge them, but I came to save them. Your mission is the mission of the Son of Man, the Son of God. Save the world. Take your bucket and refresh your world. Refresh your neighborhood. Refresh your school. Refresh your job. Refresh your gym. Refresh your coffee house. Wherever you go, bring that river. Take a sip for yourself and then share. Because if you do, You'll keep increasing and will become a flood that makes Jesus famous. And we will bless neighborhoods and nations. Not because someone preached really good, but because we are the body of Christ and we fulfilled our purpose. Stand to your feet. Because that's the reason you're in media and that's the reason you're in law, to take that river to dry and thirsty places. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Lift our hands and thank God for the word of God. Gratitude always expands our capacity to receive more. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the deposits of living water. I thank you for all the springs and the rivers that are in here now. Lord, I give you all the glory, honor, and praise give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Go ahead and just pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. 
Pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. We're doing really good on time. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked Him into your heart, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, You raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with Your Spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.